0: Hello and welcome to the Max Communications 2021 podcast, a series of podcasts where we explore various archives and collections. My name is Faith Williams, and I'm joined today by Barbara Vesey, England and Wales Provincial Archivist for the Society of the Sacred Heart. Hello, Barbara, would you like to introduce yourself and talk about how you came to work in the Society of the Sacred
1: Heart? Hello, Faith, yes, thanks. Um, right, so uh, my name is Barbara Vesey. Yeah, I've been a uh, qualified archivist for about nine years. And before that, I worked in editing, which have a lot of similar things going on. But anyway, and I have two jobs. I work three days a week for Bishopsgate Institute, which maybe you could cover in another, another podcast. <laughs> I, I can give you some names. And uh, what I'm going to talk about today is I work two days a week, as you said, uh, as the provincial archivist for the England and Wales province of the Society of the Sacred Heart, which is an order of nuns. That Catholic nuns that was uh, established in 1800 in France by a woman called Madeleine Sophie Barra. And she's now Saint Madeleine Sophie. <laughs> and we have two of our sisters canonized, very exciting. And anyway, and um, I came to the role straight out of having done the archiving course at the University of Dundee. They did a distance learning, they do a distance learning version of the course. So, um, I yeah it was pretty much my first job and yeah I've been doing it nine years in fact it was sometime in April actually that I started so it must be nine years dead and I was their first what they call lay archivist Uh, before that it was one of the nuns herself who was doing the archives and I think someone that she'd passed away and it kind of had lapsed for a few years and they realized they really needed to get somebody in so at my interview there was there were two sisters and there was another archivist from working in a catholic archives whom they drafted in uh to so he, he could ask all the archiving questions and they could ask other kinds of questions and um yeah i just remember volunteering the information that i'd been raised catholic and they were like no 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 we don't we don't we can't ask that and we don't want to know (laughs) it's not important but I yeah it has helped a little bit just to kind of understand those sort of hierarchies and and what happens but um I inherited a catalog that was all handwritten and so I've spent most of the last nine years I tell myself that my pace is okay because two days a week is only sort of like four years (laughs) I've actually been there uh so I'm mostly still of digitizing that which just means putting it into an Excel spreadsheet and then importing it into Calm database. So um yeah I don't know if I've answered that first bit or talked too much already. Yeah no so
0: I you cataloging obviously you just said what Um, else do you do? Kind of who what what was in your job description as it were.
1: Uh, Yeah, the usual kind of preserve and defend and, you know, look after the archive. So, yes. So as I'm cataloging, what I'm doing is going, comparing the written, handwritten catalog to what's actually on the shelves. There's only two rooms. It's not a huge amount of stuff. Basically, because they're a teaching order, they came to the UK to establish some schools in 1842, and at that time, the UK included Ireland, so there's, to this day, there's still this particular there are a lot of sacred heart schools they're not all the society of the sacred heart so there's a couple of schools in Ireland and in the UK there are still some schools in Newcastle primary and secondary and tertiary schools in Newcastle, Tunbridge Wells, Hammersmith. There was one in Brighton and Hove and Rohampton. And I'm actually based on the University of Roehampton campus because the University of Rahampton is made up of four constituent colleges. And one of the colleges is called Digby Stewart College, and that was established by the society. And until recently, like originally, obviously, the nuns were teaching in these schools, but now as numbers have dropped and the sisters get older, um, they either have a, a role on the Board of Governors or not even that. And there's still like a network, an international network of society, Sacred Heart Schools. Anyway, the point of that was that the records that I hold are mostly uh, there'll be um, jour- house journals like diaries and of the communities where the sisters would live and of the school. There'll be school journals, lots of papers to do with this, with school governance and registers of students and things like that. So, um, so I'm as I'm going through the catalog, I'm looking on shelves to make sure that what it says is there is there. And I'm doing a lot of repackaging so that things are preserved more effectively than they have been in the past. So it's a lot of big purchases of archive boxes and acid-free folders and all of the usual kinds of things. And so, yeah, so that's partly also why it's a slow process because I'm, I'm conserving and preserving as I, as I catalog.
0: Are you still adding to the archive?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, either schools send us things or like Digby Stewart College is still a going concerned. So I try and they don't have their own archivist. So it's kind of a weird thing because officially I'm the society archivist, but I do have some college records and things like that. And I do try to still get like the newsletter and I I belong to like the Digby Stewart Association. So I go to all the alum, alumni and alumni uh reunions and pick up stuff there from former students which is always cool and i usually put on a little display when they have their annual reunion of you know memorabilia and they still have to wear these gowns on campus and stuff like that but um yeah so and then sometimes as the sisters get older again the communities that they have dotted across around the country close and they'll either move into the there's like a dedicated nursing home across the road from where the archives are as it happens so when a community closes I'll get like photos and other memorabilia from there other artifacts from there and yeah and when a sister passes away the nursing home will collect some of her things and I mean they don't have a lot of things obviously because they're nuns and they give a lot of stuff up (laughs) but their papers will come to the archives yeah
0: that must have, like, quite a community feel to the archive, then, almost.
1: Um, yeah, it's a strange mix, because I'm actually, the building I'm in is called Barra House, after Madeline Sophie, and it also uh, doubles as uh, sort of a uh, a dormitory or a community of students who live upstairs. So there's seven students living, what they call, in community. And uh, there used to be two nuns who lived on site as well, but again, that has, they live in a different place now and um, so there are a university staff that kind of look after the students. but but yeah, um, so I'm a bit isolated was the point of that because a lot of the other lay staff actually work in offices like the provincial secretary and the treasurer and things like that. They work in Hammersmith because the Hammersmith High School is still a going concern as well. So they're on that site. So I'm a little bit. I mean, I like it because I can just get on with my work, and nobody really comes and talks to me apart from when I get researchers and stuff. But uh, but yeah, um, the sisters are wonderful people to work for. They're very obvious. I mean, unsurprisingly, perhaps they're very uh, kind and uh, considerate of what you know their lay staff you know might have trouble adjusting to some of the terminology or you know just finding our way around. Uh, the society protocols and things like that.
0: You mentioned some of the things in your collection, but you know it goes a fair way back, what kind of other material do you have in your archive?
1: Yeah, so yeah apart from the paper stuff, uh, uh, records and things like that, uh, we have loads and loads of photographs. Uh, I remember at my interview being like, oh, the first thing I would do is, you know, like put them in acid-free folders. Have I done that? No, <laughs> not yet, because it's so daunting. And unfortunately, a lot of the photographs don't tell me who they are, you know, who's in these pictures. We have all these uh, these bound volumes of girl students from the school in like 1900 and they're beautiful you know and but i don't know who anybody is uh, and so it's tricky but anyway so there's lots of photographs there's audio visual material got lots of cassette tapes and you know these video cassettes and things that one day i will get max communications to to help me with (laughs) and um plans and maps and and then we have Textiles. I have an, uh, whole, they don't wear the habit. They stopped wearing a habit in the mid '60s because um, something called Vatican II happened, and the then Pope kind of tried to shake things up and say that religious women, religious and men, religious had to be part, more part of the world. So um, it was quite a shock for a lot of the sisters and their, whom are still living, many of them, because it was the mid '60s. And um, there's there's a big uh, boom in interest there's a whole uh, uh, historians of women religious group whose listserv i belong to uh, lots of academics really interested in nuns as an area of research because a one of the few groups of women who were literate even from medieval times and who left records behind really so and and definitely are help to make a complete picture of a time in society. So anyway, Vatican II happened. They stopped wearing the habit, and yeah, a lot of the sisters, some of the sisters left because it was such a different thing than they'd signed up for. They because they'd been in a closed order, they'd been in a silent order, apart from when they were in the classroom teaching, obviously, and and it was just a big change. So uh, right, so we have, but I have a couple of examples of the habit. And they used to wear this really elaborate, they called it gof gof goff, goffered, uh, goff, it's like a French word. I think it's kind of a kind of pancake. That's kind, But anyway, it's a, the, this white, it? it's, yeah, stiff, yeah, stiff linen kind of crenellated hat, cap thing. And then, and then the actual black habit. And uh, it was very uncomfortable, apparently. <laughs> this is just who you did have to wear it, <laughs> tell me. And, uh, and yeah, heavy heavy black cotton so I have yeah textiles and and um you know they all wear like a wedding band sort of when they are married to Christ so I have loads of those (laughs) that I don't again don't feel like I can get rid of but I don't know whom they belong to or so so there's that and and then yeah cut like I said the college gown college badges college scarfs, uh things from yeah the various uh schools do you have artwork Oh, yes. Thank you. Yes, I do. I do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, I did. Well, I did a, a sort of uh, itinerary Itinerary is of the word now. Anyway, I made a list <laughs> of what we have. Yeah, there's a lot. Of, there's oil paintings. Uh, there's sculptures. And there were two sisters in particular. There's a sister who was called Catherine Blood, which is a great name for (laughs) Mother Blood. Uh, They used to call her Mother Catherine, surprisingly, because Blood was so scary. But she'd been, before she was a nun, she was actually a really, um, not famous, but she would draw, draw, she did cartoons for Punch magazine, and yeah, she was quite, uh, yeah, prolific, and she they were evacuated during the second world war from the london school to uh, a place near rugby and she would send back letters to the mother house with these really funny really funny and uh, gorgeous drawings and so we have sets of her her artwork and there was another sister called catherine oh no margaret Tourneur, and she was a really gifted um woodcut artist and so we have the original woodcuts like the and then the prints that she made from them and yeah one day I really want to do an exhibition of those because they're just exquisite and she's been included in books on the subject and some of her work I don't know there's a I forget is it called there's a uh, museum in New Haven for Yale University of sort of craft and things like that and some of her works in there Uh, so yeah yeah we have a lot of really beautiful stuff
0: do you get kind of interesting requests from researchers about things like that then?
1: Um, I don't because I don't I mean, none of the catalog is online. We don't really uh, advertise ourselves as well as we possibly could as something I'm working on. It's a bit of a tricky subject a little bit. I have to, but most of the researchers that I get fall into two camps. they're either doing genealogy kind of thing and they're like oh I think my great aunt was a nun or I think my mother's second cousin was a nun or I think my mother was at the school and you know and and those are reasonably easy to field because I have the school registers and also apparently this is unusual there's an academic called Anselm Nye who helped my predecessor digitized they have they have these like personnel records they call them fait. a lot of the materials in french because they were a french order and that was the language of the order until like the mid 60s again but um they're just kind of like personnel records and they even have them for sisters who left or novices who didn't become sisters and they go right back to the beginning 1842 when the first like seven sisters came over from france and they list sort of where they were born who their parents were where they were baptized uh where where they went to school and the reverse shows all what they call the employments so where they would send them all over the world and teaching in various sacred heart schools and so that's all listed there and he'd started kind of making a spreadsheet and i carried on he got up to about 1930 and so one of the other things i did when i was first in post was finish putting that information in making digitizing that and i can't remember where i was going with that now (laughs) what was the question Um, um in, oh, researchers, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So the, so right. So those kind of things help with the first branch of researchers, and then the others are yeah academics who do tend to be interested in. We had um one of the mothers, what they used to call Mother Superior, now they call Provincial Superior, uh, was a woman called Janet Stewart, and she, uh, b- became uh Superior not just of the UK order but of the international order. And she's one of the two nuns that Digby Stewart College is named after. The other was her predecessor, Mabel Stewart, Mabel Digby, sorry, Mabel Digby, Janet Erskine Stewart. And she wrote many books about educating girls. And they're still, I mean, academics are still really interested in what she wrote. She passed away in 1914, but um, so I get academics interested in her or or historians of education generally and also as I said historians of women religious or even just women full stop Uh, yeah
0: that's really interesting Mm -hmm. you mentioned that you would maybe like to advertise the archive a wee bit more but obviously in a sensitive manner what Mm -hmm. other challenges do you have with managing this archive Mm. Um, (laughs)
1: hmm the usual one probably that people talk about, which is like IT support. <laughs> Again, because I'm sort of, I'm on a university campus, but I'm not really part of the university. So when something goes wrong with my IT, I can't really go to the, the university IT support team, although I have in the past, but I'm sort of an associate kind of member. Uh, and as I say, the rest of the lay staff are in Hammersmith and they have an IT guy, but it's, I'm not networked. And so that that I'm mean, on a very practical, seemingly maybe not that important level whenever anything IT goes wrong, I'm just in a flat because it can take a long time to figure out who can fix it, who will fix it, what I have to do. And I'm I'm reasonably okay about IT, but you know, there are certain things that I just kind of hit a wall and I can't. So so IT support in a real on a really mundane level is one challenge. Um Sometimes communication can be a little bit tricky as well. And it's the usual thing I think that can happen where um, a, many, I mean, even though the sisters are super lovely and they're always thanking me for the work I do, they don't always kind of understand what an archivist does. Mm-hmm. so there can be a bit of like, for instance, at the moment they are big into what they call digitization, which after a bit of digging, I realized they meant scanning. And they're really, they imagine that I can just scan everything. (laughs) And then no one ever has to worry about it, anything happening to the actual physical records and stuff. And And it's been, I feel guilty because I think I might've put this in their minds, but now that I'm looking into what it involves <laughs> and how much it costs and how it maybe doesn't even buy you that much time. And, you know, as things change, I'm, I'm starting to regret having put that little bee in their bonnets. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I'll say about that. We're in negotiation.
0: <laughs> I think those those problems are actually common, common archive problems in a lot of organizations. though. I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand the... Um, difficulties and the resources that you need
1: mm, I know I mean I'm only there two days a week that's all I would be doing for a start I don't want to I don't really want to really be just scanning things all day even if I had the, the, the you know the kit to do with or the funds to send it away and have it done somewhere professionally
0: what is your favorite um, part of the archive? What would you sort of like people to be aware of that you find most interesting? Mm,
1: there's a lot of things, but uh, I've thought about this. and I think that what I'll talk about is, um, so the, there's a war memorial on campus that um, was recognized by Historic England in 2017 and they've given it like grade two listing. The chapel that's on site is also grade two listed, I found out, which is also beautiful. The Sacred Heart Chapel. But OK, the War Memorial is unusual in that it was one of the, it was erected in May May of 1918. So before the First World War even ended, and it was created by a subscription of families of students and, te- and teaching staff and the nuns, obviously, uh, uh, raised the money to create it and it's, um, oh I should know this, it's about 125 individual plaques about that big, I know it's great for a podcast, so about a foot wide and half a foot tall Uh, and the families themselves were allowed to say what was, I mean they all say the name and the date, obviously the person passed away but um, they have, they'll have very um, personal messages as well on them. And and they're just really lovely. And, and also there were some women included, which is unusual. There were a couple of uh, women who were nurses and then the mother of four who lost four sons who were also on the memorial. So we put together me and the heritage officer of uh, University of Roehampton and one of the history uh, lecturers uh, in Uh, 2014 we started working on putting together an exhibition and by 2018 we had sort of 32 panels uh each sort of focusing on the women there and the sisters and some of the uh more notable families that are mentioned on, on the memorial site and um yeah so we put up a display in the university library and and that was really good lots of people came the sisters were really pleased with it and there's a primary school that was started by the society as well just over the road so the primary school students came over and it was it was really special and and uh, lovely so i would say yeah the war memorial <laughs> is That's my, really my favorite
0: yeah are you involved in other exhibitions is that something that you're commonly asked to do
1: um, I don't really wait to be asked <laughs> I mean I this is yeah realizing when you said you know maybe I'll have to clear even doing this with somebody never really occurs to me that because I'm alone in this office and I just tend to just go ahead and do I do have a line manager but she's usually okay with whatever I you know whatever I think I should do which is great <laughs> but um yeah no I just sort of went off on my own path with this one yeah and also uh then the 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 y- England and Wales province celebrated uh, it's a hundred and I'm going to get this wrong now 75th or 1842 yeah 2017 whatever that is, it was an anniversary and me and the person who looks after the schools network that I mentioned earlier, whose name is Hillary Thompson, we put together another uh, it was a virtual exhibition. Uh, it's just a timeline with all these lovely photos that I've got in the archives of the, the the society, not just in England and Wales, because they also sent, as I say, people to Australia and India and Malta. And uh, for some reason, well, the Maltese province was part of the UK, what they call vicariate at one point, when Malta was sort of an England English, subsidiary right. not Colin, yeah holding mm-hmm. uh so i got to go to malta that was cool yeah, <laughs> I've, I've done some travel i've been to yeah i've been to rome twice that's where the general the mm-hmm. central archives are and uh, yeah that's pretty sweet and dublin because my counterpart who looks after the for some reason it's broken into england and wales ireland and scotland oh, interesting. yeah so the so the person who looks after the irish and scottish records we have to liaise quite a lot but um, but yeah, I do try to put these things on. And, you know, with the university library, you know, they've got like an exhibition space right there, so uh, it's it's quite tempting to 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 have that re- have that resource and use it really. And this sister- and a couple of years ago, again, it was the centenary of the death of Mother Stewart, whom I mentioned before, and there was sort of an international symposium. And in that the university did get involved; they had sort of a conference and speak lectures giving talks and uh, for that I put together a little exhibition in another chapel that's on site but uh, yeah so yeah yeah it's really fun I like I like doing that
0: see this is why you you you're still doing cataloging because you're always doing other things you're putting <laughs> your archive and putting exhibitions together <laughs>
1: I know. Well, it's so much more fun than doing cataloging, isn't it?
0: Well, yeah. And it's, you know, it's worthwhile, isn't it? People get to enjoy the fruits of your labor and find, yeah. out, find out what you're
1: protecting. Yeah. And like with the timeline, I went over to the nursing home over the road and showed that to the sisters there and kind of went through each slide and and it was lovely for them. It brought back all kinds of memories and you know, and yeah, it was it was really good
0: that's so rewarding thank you so much for talking to me today Barbara it's been a pleasure hearing about it just sounds like such a lovely archive it sounds like you're really enthusiastic about the material that you're working with every day
1: thank you yeah I would say I (laughs) am thanks very much
0: thank you cheers
1: cheers